Our fifth tradition says, Each Al-Anon family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. How do we do this? How has this tradition supported and worked in your recovery? Welcome to episode 290 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Paula, Patricia, Clara, Catherine, Timothy, Evan, and Penelope. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Paula, Patricia, Clara, Catherine, Timothy, Evan, and Penelope for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. For reading from our daily reader, Courage to Change, this is December 20th. Each al family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. This is part of our fifth tradition, but how do we go about doing it? By practicing the 12 steps, we must learn to love ourselves before we can truly love others. When we tend to our own spiritual needs, we make it possible for others to see that special something in us that they may want for themselves. The best sermon is a good example. The next part of this tradition talks of encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives. We can all be more loving. Knowing that alcoholism is a disease can help us respond with compassion rather than hostility. Finally, by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics, we acknowledge that love centered only on ourselves and our small family circle leaves us isolated. We are rich in opportunities to love because we are part of the Al-Anon family. Well, I'm not sure what more I can say than that short reading. It, it really covers it, but I'm going to try. I'm going to talk about these three parts of the tradition, about the ways in which we help families and friends of alcoholics. I'm going to talk about them in reverse order. That's the way I experienced them in this program. So again, the tradition says, Each Al-Anon family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves, by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives, and by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics. I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting with a certain amount of fear and trepidation. I didn't know what I was going to find there. I was terrified that I'd meet someone who knew me, and actually that happened even before I stepped into the room. I was coming into the church where the meeting was held and ran right into a friend, the wife of a friend, I guess, actually, who became a friend later in the program. And I think the first thing she said to me was, it's not about him, which I think speaks to that fear that we both had of being recognized, of being judged. So I went on into the meeting. I sat by the door so I could escape if I needed to. I don't really remember what anyone said at that meeting, but I do know that by the end of that meeting, I was convinced of one very important fact, that I was no longer alone. I was not alone in my struggle I was not alone in my experience, that there was a room full of people, at least one room full of people, who knew from their own experience what was going on in my life, what was going on in my home. 
and that they didn't judge me for it. I felt welcomed. I was welcomed with open and loving arms into this fellowship. People said, keep coming back. People said, here's my phone number, call me. And so I did come back. I didn't call anybody. I couldn't do that. I couldn't impose on these people, right? Yeah, I learned that one. I call people now. And it's not imposing. I know that by receiving calls. So I came back the next week, and the next, and the next. I try to remember to extend the same welcome whenever a new person comes to a meeting, but also to extend it to all members, whether they're new or long-timers. It can be a real spiritual practice to smile, to say hi, to listen with real interest, not just the casual, hi, how are you, how you doing, not listening to the response kind of thing that happens so often outside of meetings. And as for comfort, well, I gained comfort from people saying, I've been there. I felt that. This is what I did. This is what I didn't do. It wasn't easy. I got better. Very comforting. How about understanding and encouraging our alcoholic relatives? This was hard. This was really hard. Because when I came in here, I was angry and resentful and fearful and in despair because of my loved one's alcoholic behavior. I was angry at her. Why couldn't she just stop drinking? Why couldn't she just drink normally? Why was she doing this to me? That is not a good place to start when the goal is understanding and encouraging. Really, really hard to understand and encourage when you're full of anger and resentment. So what happened? How did I come to be able to understand and encourage? And we'll talk about what that means also, what it meant for me. I started to learn about this disease, I think initially in the friends and family programs that were put on by treatment centers that I attended. And yes, there were multiple treatment centers. I got to hear the message more than one time. I got to hear the message in different voices. I got to hear different forms of the message. So that gave me sort of head learning, head understanding. But it wasn't heart understanding of this disease concept, of the fact that it really wasn't a choice. It wasn't something that she was doing to me. It wasn't something that she was deliberately doing to herself, although it was something she was doing to herself. But what really drove home to me the depth, the cunning, baffling, and powerful nature of this disease was attending AA speaker meetings. There was one in our area that every Saturday night and and different alcoholic would share their experience, strength, and hope, would share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I think in my first few years of Al-Anon, I must have attended a hundred of those. Hearing that story, what I came to see as a story that had the same arc for every single one of these speakers, the arc may have gone lower or higher. It may have bent more sharply. And the details were completely different, but the arc of the story was the same. And hearing that story over and over in different voices, from different people, from different walks of life, different ages, different social backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, 
I started to see how that story manifested in my loved one and how she was in the grips of a disease that she could not control, that was controlling her. I could hear that story. I could hear that. I could hear her story only in other people's voices. And having heard it, I could then see it in her and understand it in her and find compassion for her struggle. Find compassion for the fact that she didn't want to be doing what she was doing. She just wasn't able to stop, wasn't able to make that change. What does encouraging mean? You know, is it standing there saying, rah, rah, go, go, sober, sober, sober. You can do it. Really, you can do it. I don't think that helps. Encouraging for me, I think the word supporting encompasses a lot of that. Loving, loving whether drinking or not. Being supportive when she decided to try not drinking for a while. Not getting angry and berating her when that failed. That was encouraging. I think that was a form of encouragement to say, look, I'm here. I'm here with you for the long haul. And I have to say, how did I get to be able to be here for the long haul? That was Al-Anon. That was the work of the program that brought me to that place. That was attending lots of meetings and talking to my sponsor and talking to Al-Anon friends that brought me to this place where I could stay, where I, I had a spiritual and emotional stability and center that I could live in this chaos that is active alcoholism and find serenity and find happiness and find gratitude. It wasn't always easy, but it was, it was there. It was possible. You know, I could be here when she said, I don't want to drink today. And after sobriety, understanding and encouraging, understanding that sobriety is a process. It's not instantaneously everything's better. That facets of the ism, as we call it sometimes, continue to, you know, show themselves even a decade or more into sobriety. Understanding and encouraging growth. Understanding and encouraging by staying out of the way and letting her work her program while I work my program. And we work our programs side by side. And then there's practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves. You know, one of the things that I think kept me from coming into Elanon, besides the feeling that I wasn't the one with the problem, was those 12 steps. I didn't like those 12 steps. I didn't want to go anywhere near those 12 steps. They had scary concepts in them, like God and inventory and amends. That was not what I wanted to do. That was not going to make me better. I was sure of that. And I was wrong. Yes, I was wrong. Those 12 steps are what saved me. Those 12 steps are what brought me into recovery. Those 12 steps led me to find at least the concept of a higher power, to come to trust that my higher power could restore me to sanity and that I could try a new way of living by following what I perceived as the will of my higher power from one day at a time. Those 12 steps let me look at myself honestly and deeply and share myself 
with other people, with at least one other person. And that is freeing, to not be carrying the secrets of my unique brokenness that turned out to be not so unique and not so broken. I wouldn't have known that without steps four and five, inventory, and as I like to say, confession. Finding a way to change. Those are steps six and seven. You know, I don't have to stay. I don't have to keep doing the things that I don't like that I do. I can change. And I did change. Making amends for the wrongs I caused cleans up my side of the street, as it were. Let's me live in a place that I'm okay with, that I'm comfortable with, that I'm not kicking myself for stuff that happened in the past, that I, I'm not feeling guilty or cringy when I see certain people. It's really important, really helpful. And then continuing to practice this new way of living, continuing to become more and more of a person that I want to be, that I like to be, that other people like, you know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Finding a new emotional and spiritual path and center for myself. That's what those 12 steps did for me. Which brings it back to the beginning, because when I am living in recovery, then I can be the best at welcoming and giving comfort and helping families of alcoholics in their own recovery. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. Putting together this episode sort of at the last minute, and so I haven't picked any music. I might find some and put them in the show notes. We'll see. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Well, it's been, I guess, a few weeks sort of since I've, I've, talk to you about what's going on, except for last week where I talked to you about what's going on in the context of the serenity prayer and vacation and all that. I did take a vacation. It was nice. Um, I wasn't wild about it, I have to say. Um, felt like taking time out of my busy life to go visit my in-laws was, you know, not necessarily my favorite idea, but I was wrong. I haven't seen my wife's family in, I think, five years, and that's really too long, especially when the kids are growing up. Three of them are adults now. One of them's in high school. Last time I saw him, I think he was in elementary school. It was a great visit, and I'm glad I went. And as with any travel, I think we had certain expectations about what we were going to do, what was going to happen. And those you know, those didn't all happen, or they didn't happen in the way that we expected them to happen, and other things happened that we didn't expect to have happen. But by working our recovery, by understanding that life doesn't always give us what we want, you know, we were able to, to get through those experiences, and I talked in much more detail about some of them last week, without anger and resentment, you know, with, with serenity. I was listening to another recovery podcast the Recovered Podcast. The episode was about feeling inferior in recovery or something like that. One of the, the people in the conversation spoke a prayer that she uses. 
and it really struck me. And I had to rewind the podcast, I don't know, four or five times to make sure I had it right because I was driving. I couldn't stop and write it down. I just had to get it in my head, which is a good place for it to be. This prayer, she said, came from the Ignatian tradition, which I'm not familiar with, but I love the prayer. God, grant me the grace to accept myself as I am, the grace to be me. And I heard that and I was like, oh, yes. Rewind, hear it again. Rewind, hear it again. Grant me the grace to accept myself as I am. The grace to be me. It is a grace to be me, is what this this prayer tells me. Right up there with I'm not broke. It's not even that I'm not broke. No, I am grace. Wow. So, so beautiful. So I have that one. I have that one to, to carry with me. I'll never forget it. Hopefully I'll remember it at the times when I most need it, when I'm most feeling like I screwed up, like I'll never get it right. I still have those thoughts. The grace to be me. A few weeks ago, and I may have talked about this before, but it still sticks with me. I was at a work meeting in New York. It was a big meeting, a lot of people, a couple days, speakers, food, blah, blah, blah. And towards the end of the meeting, I walked into the the breakfast slash lunchroom to get a cookie or something. And the woman who had done a lot of, maybe all of the sort of logistical organizing for the meeting, including getting the food there, finding the location, etc., was sitting there looking very tired. And I don't remember exactly what I said, probably something about, thanks for everything you did here. And she started talking, and she started expressing some of her frustrations and her tiredness. And I was kind of feeling like, well, okay, this wasn't what I came in here for, but she needs somebody to listen. I can do that. I just listened. I probably made little encouraging noises. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That sort of thing. And I don't think it was immediately, but a little bit later that day, she said, thank you. You know, she thanked me for just listening, which is not a skill that I had. It is a skill that I learned in this program of recovery. And I'm so grateful that I have it, that I could be there for just a couple of minutes and listen to somebody who very clearly needed somebody to listen. Wow. This Saturday morning, third Saturday of the month, it's our tradition table, tradition five, because it's May, which inspired this this podcast. Mark sent us a meditation based on a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Place yourself in the middle of the stream of power and wisdom which animates all whom it floats, and you are, without effort, impelled to truth, to right, and a perfect contentment. Mark continues, I read this quote in conference-approved literature before, but had never understood its depths. At some point years into my program, it came to me that place yourself signified not reckless abandon or defeat, but a new awareness of a great and generous gift, the capacity granted within me to choose, and the gift outright that truth and serenity, present and unchanging within the heart of turmoil and seeming chaos. The winds and waves and spray are ever passing. The stream flows on. Place yourself. 
not fall in and be carried along like a cork on a storm-driven sea. Place yourself and be sustained and enlightened towards some better self. The middle of this stream does not overwhelm in the way that a torment or raging river would. You place yourself in a safe and illuminated place, and where you go from there, whether you follow or fight the current, is still up to you. That current flows to and from and all around you without your will, and has been doing so ceaselessly all the moments of your life. You likely had stumbled and fallen into it at some earlier point in your life, but rather than being upheld were unnerved by the unfamiliar and seemingly sourceless and moving calm, and struggled instead against the current and scrambled your way back out to what you thought was firm and safer ground. The current of power and wisdom coursed on without you, and you wandered on through lonely chaos. When I lose my way, the program, the groups, and the fellowship are for me the way back to the banks of that stream. Mark says, I don't know if this qualifies as a meditation, but it passes for me when I am trying to keep in some kind of third-step alignment with my higher power. Let my will be your will of my own will. Let my will be your will for me of my own will. Of my own will, let my will be your will for me. I think it is helpful to me because it takes me through the progression of my thinking about the third step over time. Let my will be your will of my own will. I first came to the realization that I wanted and maybe needed my higher power's help, though I was initially confused and conflating my own with my higher power's will. Still under the sway of my overcompensating ego, I lacked the clarity and proportionality to see my narrow self in relation to an expansive and encompassing higher power. But I was at least reaching out, however misguidedly, for help. I was doing something with my will other than trying to control and isolate. Let my will be your will for me of my own will. So I began to get some sense of a higher power who might at once be open and available to everyone while somehow reinforcing individual identity and autonomy. I needed to be concerned only with my higher power's will for me and not my higher power's ordering of or interests in the universe and all the other individuals in it. Of my own will, let my will be your will for me. In some miraculous reconciliation of the macro with the micro, my higher power can affirm and make safe my unique and tiny space within the vastness of the world and still grace me with the dignity and necessity of choice. I remain myself undiminished but fortified. Thank you, Mark, um, for those. I guess that's actually two separate meditations, isn't it? Thank you. Oh, upcoming. I'm not sure. Um, thinking about hope, thinking about quotes and parables with Eric. And uh, I think some of you have started sending in your ideas as well. Um, Eric recently sent me a document that has got way too many in it. I think we're going to have to pick a few and maybe come back to them another time. But that's coming up. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. If you want to add your voice to our conversation, you can call right now. 734 734- 707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer, or you can record a voice memo and email it to us at feedback at the recovery dot show, or you can just send an email if you prefer not to use your voice to feedback at the recovery dot show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, but one purpose or tradition five or any upcoming topics. 
And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Our website is therecovery.show. It has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to the music, the readings, etc. So come on over. If you want to find any particular episode by number, you go to therecovery.show slash number. So for this one, therecovery.show slash 290. got a fair amount of of email and voicemail sort of piled up here. It's been a while since I've been able to get to this, what with traveling and all. A listener wrote in feeling that he might not belong. Hi, Spencer. I was turned onto your podcast by a friend. We were both going through a very painful process of divorce. Our spouses had a sudden and unexpected change of heart, character, and lifestyle. Some might call it a midlife crisis. My wife was never an alcoholic, and I don't know if she is now. However, her mother and brother are very heavy drinkers. My mother-in-law witnessed alcoholism and abuse as a child, so I know it runs in the family. My wife hardly ever drank through our 14 years together. She did go through a small couple-month period recently after asking for the divorce, where she drank while on medication for anxiety and depression, blacking out. She stopped the medication, but the drinking continues. I'm not sure how much she drinks as we no longer live together. I do believe she could be a double winner or maybe just an Al-Anon herself. What I do know is my wife, much like my mother-in-law, is a people pleaser, always putting others before herself. They also both use shopping as a way to fill a hole. That is an addiction I know they both have. I see that they are both looking to feel loved the way they love, and they both use buying things to try to find happiness. I know my wife never felt loved by her mother. They never have had a good relationship. My wife, through the divorce process, has shared many bricks with me, feelings of never being enough, feelings of not being appreciated or loved the way she wanted. I made mistakes in our marriage like everyone, failed communication resulting in anger. I also enabled her by buying her everything and anything she wanted. Sometimes it was stuff for her, sometimes it was stuff for our kids, then our house, then her photography business that she stopped working. There was always a need. Even when I made attempts to change our spending habits to save, it didn't last long before the spending continued again. I tried to make her happy. I was a good husband in many ways. It's important I remind myself that. This divorce has destroyed my confidence, self-worth, and emotional stability. Regardless of what I did or didn't do, I believe my wife has a hole. A hole only she can fill. The divorce isn't over, and she has moved on to an affair partner. She still reaches out to cry, tell me she is effed up, complain about her situation. I've had to learn loving detachment. I guess the point of my email is just to share my experience. I wonder if anything I have shared clicks with what you have learned over the years about addiction or alcoholism. Thanks for reading. Well, thanks for writing. And it sounds to me like, according to our third tradition, that there is a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend, where, which is, you know, it's an interesting sort of expression because we're also encouraged not to diagnose alcoholism in other people. Um, what I always say, if what you hear here resonates with you, if if you feel better after coming to meetings, even if you're not sure if there is alcoholism around you that has affected you, keep coming. You belong here. Yes, your description of the whole and the ways that uh, she tries to fill it does sound very familiar. Thanks again. Tim writes, Hi, Spencer. Over the past several months, I've been hearing about and seeing quotes from an Al-Anon book called Having Had a Spiritual Awakening. I kept an eye out for it at the meetings I attend, but after several weeks, I still hadn't found it. Then I remembered the books link on your website and ordered it from there and received a very nice used copy. It's a great book, and I'm using it like a daily reader. Each one or two pages has a story from an Al-Anon member 
about a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening. Which leads me to why I'm writing. I thought spiritual experiences would be a good topic for your podcast. I searched your website and didn't find one. With that, I'd like to share one of mine. When I was about 12 years old, my family went on a weekend religious retreat in the mountains in Southern California. One evening, a group of kids my age, along with several nuns, went on a spiritual hike. At some point, we stopped and we were asked to listen very carefully and then describe what we heard. I believe this might have been my first real experience with meditation. Nature has always been a calming and peaceful experience for me, so I was truly able to open my eyes and ears and heart to what I was experiencing. I had an overwhelming feeling of peace, joy, and contentment. When it came time to share what I had heard, I shared that I had heard the stars twinkling. It took many years in finding Al-Anon to have an experience like that again. Using the tools of the program, I'm able to open my eyes, ears, and heart, which allows these spiritual experiences into my life on a regular basis. Thank you for providing another tool that can lead to a spiritual experience. Tim in Tucson, Arizona. Thank you for sharing that, Tim. Thank you so much. If you've got a spiritual experience you want to share, um, write or call. Use the contact page on the website at therecovery.show slash contact to, to send yours. And maybe we can put together an episode of spiritual experiences. Patty left us a voicemail. Hi, my name is Patty. I've been listening to your show for a few months, and recently I had the experience that was on the program that I just listened to about having a loved one and the being incarcerated, and it was nice to finally hear something because, like the speaker said, it was a very confusing learning curve to know how to communicate with this person. Unfortunately for our son, he was just awaiting sentencing, and he was released until his sentence about two weeks before, and he was actually hit by a car. So we kind of stopped that process. Don't know what would have happened if he would have gone on to learn or um, continue his recovery. But um, I also searched your topic to see if there was anything about when an alcoholic dies, the unique process of what you go through with that. And we also have the experience of him having, being hospitalized for liver failure. And I don't know if you have anything about that when the alcoholic loved one develops an illness and how to deal with that. So those are some requests I guess I would have for programs, but it's very helpful to listen to programs about um, parents and what they've gone through. Certainly a recovery process and complicates the grieving process. Basically, the program, Al-Anon program, and your program is helping to deal with these losses. So I just wanted to thank you for your program and the variety of topics that you've presented. Um, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Patty, for sharing that. You know, that's that's something that's very real for many of us in this program. Towards the end of, of my wife's drinking, as she was reaching her bottom, I didn't know where it was going to end. Was it going to end in death? It seemed a very real possibility. I know at one point she put herself into a recovery facility because her body was starting to show signs of, of liver failure or elevated liver, um, uh, what do they call them, you know, chemicals in the blood. That concerned her enough that she, she reached out for recovery, which, you know, she didn't accomplish that time, but did help. But we haven't done an episode. I can't really do it from my personal experience. I would need somebody who's been through it and is willing to to share their experience. 
Thanks for calling. Kara also sent us a voicemail sharing some experience, strength, and hope. Oh, hi. I just wanted to leave a message because this is the first time um, today I listened to your podcast. And my uh, partner, we're actually not married because of his addiction. We have three children, and I get so, I've been good at not reacting, but I get so caught up in, um, you know, the once he stops drinking, we can do this, we can do that. But as of the past couple of months, I've just been planning activities, and if he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And just trying to just go about living life and being positive, and um, I am positive and I am happy, and I oscillate between, you know, kicking him out or keeping him home, or when I kick him out, I have in the past, it just gets worse. And of course, I have all the anger from all the lies he said while he's drinking about me to his family because I, you know, ratted him out to them for him. But anyways, I am, um, I'm going to keep listening. I have three kids and I actually am working one full-time job and two part-time jobs. I'm actually a social worker. So I get so busy, I can't always find time for myself, and I'm trying to do that more. But I don't really have time when I have the kids. So I have to, my kids are only 15 months, three and a half, and seven. So I have to kind of, thankfully, I work from home a lot and have to see my clients on the road. So I'm trying to schedule it so that I have one morning where I just do my paperwork or I schedule it for paperwork, but I do my notes, say, in the evening. So that way in the morning I could kind of go do yoga or whatnot. I try to run after the kids go to bed. But, you know, it's hard not to start to get resentful when you feel like you're left with all of the work. But I really am going to try not to nag and just stay with saying a one-liner like you said in your last episode and also just um, I'm going to listen to episode 188 and really I know all about the compassion love from a social work perspective from my schooling and I've been practicing for 16 years now but it's the hardest to implement when it's your loved one anyways I hope to keep listening and I just wanted to thank you thanks my name is Kara bye bye thanks for calling Kara and and really nice notes about how to stay positive Thanks. Jeffrey wrote in response to Mary Pearl T. talking about Step 10. That was a really insightful talk. I could relate to the part about being at home during the ice storm. That's how I have been feeling lately. I lost many friends in the last nine years while I've been in mental health recovery. Though the staff here is very helpful and supportive, I will be looking into ACOA for a meeting. I grew up with intense, alcoholic, angry parent. I think that may have more to do with me as an illness than the schizophrenia. Thanks once again for your podcast, and thanks again, as always, for having my song as a part of it. Blessings, Jeffrey. Thank you for your continuing contribution to the show, Jeffrey. Natalie left a voicemail about our episode with uh, Michelle and Mark and their son in prison. Hi, this is Natalie, and I just wanted to say that the episode on... I can't remember their names, but their kid was in prison or jail. I found that to be really, well, it, it basically, it mirrored an experience that I had with my sister, who was my, my alcoholic. Even though 
it was different situations, different programs. I found a lot of wisdom and a lot of common ground with your guest host, and I really appreciated that episode. It kind of shows that whether it's Naranon or Essanon or Al-Anon, the programs are really closely related and the principles are pretty much the same. And so we can learn a lot from other programs, which we can't necessarily do in Al-Anon meetings because it wouldn't be conference approved. Also, I wanted to add something about the upcoming topic of quotes. One of my favorite quotes is, not my monkeys, not my circus, because it's kind of a humorous way of saying to myself, mind your own business, which is hard for me. I want to be involved and control everything. And a related quote to that would be, uh, I don't have to attend every dog fight I'm invited to and stay inside your hula hoop. Those are kind of variations of that same idea that to stay in my own business and not worry about other people and just put my recovery first. Thank you for your show. I love it. Bye. Thanks for calling, Natalie. Thanks for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. Jimmy also wrote about Step 10. What a treat your show is to your listeners. I'm grateful. Much of my conversations with close friends is peppered with advice, anecdotes, and tools gleaned from your show. Just yesterday, I was able to put the work of practice by promptly admitting a wrong. I was rude to an employee at the hardware store because he could not understand what I needed. I left in a huff with my parting words, this looks like this is upsetting you. I returned to reality, recognized my part, called the clerk back on the phone and stated that I did a poor job explaining what I needed because I didn't know how to express it. I apologized. He could not have been more gracious. This interchange, which did not take long, allowed me to return to humility, to serenity, and even better, I now have a friend who helped me solve my construction need. Thank you, your hosts and your listeners, Jimmy. And thank you, Jimmy. Thank you for sharing that story. Patricia writes in response to episode 208 about humility. Patricia writes in response to episode 280 about Essanon with Brian. Hi, Spencer. Thanks for all you do. I haven't listened to a podcast in several months because I started attending an SNON meeting in the fall of 2018 in addition to my Al-Anon. I'm so glad that you brought Brian on your show and that I got to listen. I've been hearing from counselors and others since I started Al-Anon that my husband's sexual acting out, which was discovered at the same time that alcoholism put him into recovery, would be treated through AA. I have not gotten enough recovery from just attending Al-Anon for how the sexual acting out has affected me. I'm so glad that I now have both programs. Something that really helped was to learn from my sponsor that there is a difference between someone who is an alcoholic and has been unfaithful and someone who has led a separate life of being unfaithful. I also know for me that if I had cancer, I wouldn't be okay with seeing my internist for treatment. So for me, even though I have several friends in Al-Anon who experienced infidelity, it wasn't until I got to Essanon that I could connect with others about the betrayal trauma that I am dealing with. I appreciate you hosting on the topic, as many of the people in my Essanon meeting additionally deal with alcoholism. Enjoy your day, and thanks again, Patty S. Thank you, Patty. We're, we, we're here to serve. Matthew left us a voicemail on the Serenity Prayer episode. Good morning, Spencer. This is Matthew from Atlanta. One of your friends here in the Southeast. I uh, wanted to, I really appreciate your episode on the Serenity Prayer. Uh, I skipped over that prayer for many years, but other recovery programs didn't really 
realize the power and the simplicity uh, and the depth of that prayer. And I was uh, attending an Essanon meeting in reference to your episode 280. That's that program, Essanon, for people who have been affected by other people's sexual behavior. And uh, a woman shared an exercise, a writing exercise, Serenity Prayer, which is that writing down everything that you can't change and writing down what you can change. You could be just writing two columns on a piece of paper. And there's something about recovery and, and a pen. It's like recovery flows out of a pen, I feel. And you see that on paper. It helps uh, take all the, the mess and jumble and confusion out of my head. And then... Hopefully, by looking at it on paper, just like a mini inventory, I'm able to gain wisdom to know the difference between what I can and can't change. So I thought that was a powerful exercise that I heard and uh, has been helpful to me when I've used it. Take care, and I hope that you have a great day. I, too, Matthew, believe that recovery flows out of a pen. I know that when I was talking about Step 5 with my AWOL group a few months ago, I was reflecting on how do I how do I share the exact nature of my wrongs with my higher power and writing is a way that I do that because when I start to write it doesn't always come out what I expected to come out, you know? So thanks, Matthew. Kelly also responded to the Serenity Prayer episode. Hi Spencer. I just finished listening to the podcast you taped while you were in Texas. I chuckled to myself afterward because I loved how you nonchalantly went about recording a show that wasn't as polished as usual, with the wind noise in the background, no opening readings or usual features, etc. But it was spontaneous and honest, and you sounded so happy and at peace. Your joyfulness rubbed off on me. I liked that you were able to sail through the obstacles that were presented to you during the trip, and as a result, were able to find the serenity waiting for you on the other side. That is such a gift from the program, I feel, that we can learn to recognize. Today is such a beautiful day with the sun shining and birds singing, and I can appreciate it even more because I have endured all the rainy days we've had lately. Thanks for all you do. I'm looking forward to the podcast you and your wife recorded together. Take care, Kelly. And Mark also responded, Not sure why, but I really enjoyed this road episode. I've often heard that recovery is an inside job. When you put as much honest effort into that job as Spencer has, you internalize and integrate your lessons, and they travel with you and are there for you when you need them wherever you are. Thanks, Mark. And Tara left us a voice memo about the same episode. Hi, Spencer and everybody. This is Tara from Minnesota. I have just listened to episode 289, Applying the Serenity Prayer. And that was such an awesome episode, Spencer. I was driving along. I just got to my destination and I just had to let you know right away how wonderful that was and very timely for me. You know, I've been kind of on the idea for when I do shares, I try not to share the background story. I try to kind of get to the meat of what my lesson was or what tools I used. But hearing your story or hearing this episode, it really finally hit home to me how important it can be to also share the story because of two things. A, it gives context to the lessons that we learn or the tools that we used or could have used, but it also gives us real life examples of what a person goes through and how they dealt with it or how they could have dealt with it. And those real life examples are things we can relate to so easily. 
the examples you gave in your stories were they were things that I could relate to, even though not to the very specifics, but absolutely I can relate to a lot of it, even just this last week, because of we're doing a move from one apartment to another. And a lot, there's been a lot of, a lot of challenges along the way. And everything you talked about, I'm like, yes, if, you know, I can relate to that. And yeah, I can apply the serenity prayer to all of this. And I can utilize my tools to get through this, as you said, with serenity, as opposed to with um, frustration or anger or resentment or anything else. I can get through this both with serenity and, as you um, very eloquently pointed out many times, serenity and acceptance. While I'm at it, I'd like to also note that the part of your episodes, the um, week in recovery, that that connects to how important that part of your episodes is to me, that part of the episode, how important it is to me, because I sometimes at the high level, you know, at on a high level discussion, I can understand and appreciate all of the great things being said, but being able to apply it to the day-to-day humdrum things in my life can be much more difficult. But to hear concrete examples of how you and your guest use tools or where you could have used tools and how you dealt with situations, it is so... I think the best way to say it is I'm a visual learner, and although this is not a visual um, situation, I learn, if not visually, then I learn by exact examples, and it's been a huge tool to me. It also makes the program far more accessible, I think. Yeah, I think that's what's helped me with my program over the last couple of years of listening to you, is that... I see how I can apply it to all these little seemingly mundane little day-to-day issues. So Spencer, I thank you so much for everything you do. As once again, you have such, your podcast has such a huge influence on me on a day-to-day basis. And I am absolutely grateful to you and what you do. And I cannot wait to hear the episode on Sober Speak where you and your wife speak. That is going to be fantastic. And I'm just so disappointed. I have to wait four weeks for it. But that said, hope you have a great day and um, safe travels back from Texas. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. I agree about the importance of stories with you, Tara. I learn life lessons through stories. You know, (laughs) I think Jesus would agree because so many of his teachings were parables, which are stories, right? We can connect with a story and then we can pick out the principle that we need to take with us. So thanks for, thanks for calling. Rebecca writes, hi, recovery show peeps. I was introduced to your podcast last week from a friend from my Naranon group. My qualifier is my sister who's addicted to meth and heroin. Your podcast is awesome and I've really enjoyed all your shares. Your show has become my go-to meeting and actually you've inspired me to find a sponsor. The problem is that Naranon has really few meetings and even fewer sponsors. I'd love if you could have some guests from Naranon talk about the similarities and differences between the two programs. Is there a resource where I could get hooked up with a sponsor? In gratitude, Rebecca. I am not aware of a resource for finding a sponsor, like maybe online or something. Um, I do know that there are online meetings, and that might be a place where you could find somebody who you would like to have as a sponsor. 
That's all I can think of right now. Thanks for writing. Amanda writes with a topic. Hi, Spencer and team. Thank you so much for the thoughtful podcast. I really appreciate your service. Your podcast has been tremendously helpful for me. A topic suggestion. Mistakes. My instinct is to beat myself up and feel a lot of shame, guilt, fear, and resistance to accepting what it is when I make mistakes. I'm finding that in my first year of recovery, with so much awareness now, I see that come up, but it's still hard to figure out how to navigate these moments. Easy does it. First things first. What's the next right thing to do? Working and making amends and doing what I can and what is in my power to do. But it is still tough. So it might be interesting to hear a topic about making mistakes in all our affairs. Maybe about program slip-ups, but also about how we use the program when we make daily life mistakes. Like accidentally double-booking work and commitments, which is what I'm navigating today. Thank you. Amanda in New York. And yeah, oh boy. A friend in the program shared with me an acronym or a phrase that I love, which is another learning experience, another growth opportunity. You can stick an F word in there if you prefer. Mistakes are the things we learn from. But yeah, great topic. A voicemail from a listener who comes from a loving and chaotic family. Hi, I'm calling from California. I just uh, came upon this podcast while I was looking for Al-Anon podcast, and I was scrolling through all the episodes I'd never listened before, and I came upon Tom's episode from August 2018, and what caught my eye was it said he came from a loving and chaotic family. I also came from a loving and chaotic family, and for a long time now, I felt like maybe, in my comparison, I didn't have a bad enough story (laughs) to belong in Al-Anon. And I know that's not true, but listening to Tom's story, I mean, I had a moment of hearing someone describe my life, especially the story about the birthday with his sister. That was wild. That is my life. So I just so appreciate it. And I'm so, so glad I stumbled upon this podcast and I'll be listening more. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for sharing that. Kathy wrote with a topic idea. I've recently found your podcast and have loaded several and listened to them with avid interest. I'm a longtime recovery person, but I'm always looking for new ways to improve my serenity and my usefulness to my higher power. I really appreciate the work that you and all of you do, and I'm in awe of your ability to remember so many helpful tools. I've sponsored many people over the years, and the one thing that has been on my mind lately is what I call the anti-slogan, meaning if slogans are tools for helping us get or stay on track, the anti-slogan is a tool for doing the opposite. My least favorite of these is, this is just the way I am. When a sponsee says this, a part of my brain explodes. Not just because I know it is not true, but because for so many years that was my justification for remaining miserable and making others that way as well. There are similar things people say that are corollary to this. I'm a type A personality. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a control freak. You get the gist. Sometimes I can help people see that it is a choice. Sometimes not. In the latter case, I am reminded of something Russell Brand says in his book, Recovery. You have to sit back and admire the battlements on their self-imposed unawareness. In any case, it took me a while to see that I had a choice of how I was to be. I had to learn that there were many ways to express my desire for high achievement that do not include belittling others or shaping them into my ideal of who they should be. I had to learn that if I did not control myself, I had no right to try to control other people, and that even benign manipulation was still manipulation. And as Anne Lamott gently reminds us, I had to forgive to be forgiven. But I have been at this for a whole lot of 24 hours, and graduation is not even within sight. 
I hope you find this useful, and thank you again for your service to me and so many others. Kathy A. Delaware. Anti-slogans, huh? Well, yeah, maybe so. And graduation is not within sight. No, it's, it's a lifelong process, I believe. Mel sent a short voicemail of thanks from Australia. Hi there, everyone at the Recovery Show. I'm calling from Australia to say hi and to say thank you so much for doing the Recovery Podcast. I'm enjoying it so much. I've been listening to it for the last few weeks. I live in a fairly rural area, so I can make it to a maximum of one or two meetings a week. So your show has been an absolute lifeline for me and I've gotten so much out of it. I've just been listening to the episode on anger and yeah, a lot of a lot of eye-opening moments in that one. Um, I think it's episode 182. I found that technique of asking yourself why and then asking yourself why again and why again that um that you talked about Spencer that that's yeah, that's been really really helpful for me. I just wanted to yeah, just say thank you again. Really great show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mel. Catherine sent some thanks. Thank you for all you do. You have helped me many times during crisis with my addict son. Thank you for helping me to stay sane. Penelope writes, your podcast has been so helpful to me in the past three years between my Al-Anon meetings. Thank you so much. I was especially helped by Mark and Michelle's sharing recently. So much of their story resonated with my own experience and validated my difficult decisions. Although I am a faithful member of three Al-Anon groups, it's my daughter's addiction that brought me to Al-Anon. I ordered the SESH Naranam book they quoted from, and it is very helpful to me in addition to my Al-Anon books. Thanks to you, them, and to all your contributors, Penelope. And that was episode number 287, and I have a link there to the SEH book on the Naranon website. It hasn't made it onto my books page yet. It'll get there. Thank you for this podcast. It is so helpful to have it to listen to at any time from Laurie in Peterborough, Ontario. Dear Spencer, I just discovered your show a few days ago and cannot explain how helpful the podcast has been. I'm currently listening to the episode about miracles, and I think it is a miracle that I discovered your show. Thank you for sharing your time and wisdom. My life is changing before my eyes. Another miracle, Jody. Thank you, Jody. Got an iTunes review from Canadian Ashley titled Fabulous Recovery Tool. Fabulous self-care tool. So much experience, strength, and hope shared through this platform. This podcast is my meeting between meetings. I found it only three months ago, so I downloaded a selection of topics I was interested in, and I've had so many awakened moments listening to these shows. It's perfect for more programming. You can't make it a meeting or need more meetings, but cannot make it to a face-to-face. I, this podcast has helped change my life. Thank you, Spencer, and all other co-hosts. And thank you, Ashley, for taking the time to leave a review. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Paula, Patricia, Clara, Catherine, Timothy, Evan, and Penelope did. Thank you. Thank you for your contributions. I apologize for putting so many names in a single episode, but it has been a while since I've been able to do that. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. 
we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.